0: I didn't ask you to respond as a pastor, okay? I've already been confused in public as his father. So you know where he gets his genetics, right? This morning we're going to talk about the unity of Christ, okay? That's a major theme in this body, I had one of my mentors when I was really young say, eat the hay, leave the stubble. What that means is, if there's something that pertains to you within a certain message that someone provides from the stage, if it's beneficial to you, use it. If it doesn't pertain to you, don't get triggered. Don't get offended. Because what I want you to do is those areas which you don't struggle with, maybe you know somebody within the body that does. So encourage them, okay? Our passage today is going to be Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to go verses 1 through 13, Now, if any of you know Ephesians 4.11, what is it? He gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, right? So, and evangelists. Thank you, James. The issue that I've always had with that scripture and that I think Maybe most young ministers had or have is that we put the entire focus on the offices of the pastor. And their job, as we're going to learn today, is to equip who? The flock, us. So I'd want to take a complete look, not an incomplete look, at that particular passage. Okay, we ready to go to work? I'm going to need some volunteers uh, at a couple junctures throughout the message to read some scriptures, so please be ready. Ephesians 4, 1, therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Last week, we walked with Paul in chapters 19 and 20 through the book of Acts. We went into and through Ephesus in order to understand and gain an appreciation for Paul's letter to the Ephesians that he would later write. We investigated what made Ephesus such an important target city for the apostle Paul. From a geographical standpoint to its population and to its influence on the known world. Things such as various ways of travel from exporting and importing goods. A diverse social, political, and religious culture. In addition, we learned about Artemis. Although Ephesus was a polytheistic society... They were the guardians to Artemis. People from all over the known world made pilgrimages to worship her. She influenced every aspect of Ephesians' lives. Economically, it was lucrative for the silversmiths. The temple of Artemis, which was bigger than the Pantheon in Greece, was also known for the world's banking center. They gave out loans, they gave out mortgages to the entire world. Paul's arrival into Ephesus was nothing short of powerful. We would get to visit locations and review the exploits of Paul. Everything from the resistance of the Jews in the synagogue to Paul renting out the hall of Tyrannus for two years. The handkerchiefs that he used, the aprons that he used, were used to heal the sick and demonized. Jewish exorcists. The seven sons of Sceva attempted to invoke the name of Jesus and got humiliated. The demon knew Jesus, he knew Paul, but he asked them, who are you? He beat their clothes off of them. Imitations at best. These events would put Paul and the Ephesian church on a collision course with the worshipers of Artemis. Because of their experience of being confronted with the reality and the truth of God's word, magicians, sorcerers began to abandon their magic and occult practices because the fear of the Lord spread. Those that repented and turned to God publicly burned books and scrolls costing 50,000 pieces of silver. After three years of working and overseeing the Ephesian church, on his final departure, Paul would have had one last conversation with the Ephesian elders at Miletus. He used the metaphor of shepherd and sheep to emphasize instruction and warning watch over yourselves and be over the sheep. Paul also warned them to be on guard. Wolves would be prowling outside the church and inside the church. We talked about the roles and relationships within the life of a flock. Sheep, the believers. Shepherd and under-shepherds. Those are our pastors and our teachers. And the impact of wolves from the world and the false teachers from within. We learn that each role served a purpose for the benefit of each other, the shepherd to the sheep and the sheep to the shepherd. The relationships do not go one way, from the shepherd to the sheep. A shepherd's responsibility is to guide and protect the sheep. The sheep's role is to follow the shepherd and reproduce. This morning, we are going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, which Paul wrote from prison, most likely in Rome, but some will argue Caesarea. Ephesians has no rebukes from Paul. The purpose of Paul writing Ephesians is unity. Chapters 1 through 3 focus on the work of Christ that guarantees our unity with the Father. Chapters 4 through 6 focuses on unity amongst the church corporately and conduct in in Christian homes. the question we are attempting to answer today is how we are going to achieve a greater level of unity within AC Square. David C. George wrote, truth without love is fanaticism. Love without truth is sentimentality. Siobhan, can you come up and pray, please? (laughs) She's doing double duty today. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can be here. We thank you for the breath in our lungs. Lord, I pray that this morning that we would understand, that we would have the ability to understand what you have for your church and for this church home, how we can better
1: be in unity, what that means, how that looks, how we behave in that position. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, Open our minds to hear what
0: you have to say to each of us individually, but also as a complete body.
1: In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh, go to Ephesians 4, 7, please. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. When receiving a gift, the true value of that gift is experienced through sharing it with others. Amen. A gift that is shared helps to establish a connection with others. Relationship could be entered. Trust can begin to be built and gained. That trust and relationship will then lead to commitment... Which builds? Unity. Unity. Oh, that! I mean, I know I'm not the regular guy up here, but commitment equals what? Unity. I still, <laughs> but I'm gonna le- I'm gonna leave it. <laughs> God administers a multitude of gifts through Christ, establishing unity for the church. God the Father disperses a diversity of other types of gifts in the church for our families and our friends. There's a paradox of this unity, though, is that a God that God accomplishes is unity through diversity. He implements a diversity of gifts with a myriad of functions. This is a paradox when gifts are being distributed from God through Christ and believers. A paradox is a statement or preposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd, but in reality, it expresses truth. So let's talk about the four gifts that he has given us. First, the gift of salvation through Jesus. Paul refers to Psalm 68. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell here. This passage demonstrates a conqueror prevailing over his enemies and the gifts received not only from, the rebel, from his believers and followers, but also the rebellious. Jesus' incarnation, his ascension, dissension, dissension, ascension, however you want to read that, was the defeat of Satan, pulling the world out of darkness and into the light of God. Instead of hoarding these gifts, God chose to lavish them on his creation. The greatest gift that God has ever given to you or I was himself. Can I get a volunteer for Romans 6.22 and Romans 11.28? Okay, Tommy, thank you. Romans 6.22. Romans 6.22, right? Yep. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and and its end, eternal life. 23-2? 23-2? Yeah. For the wages of sin is death, but the free fr- the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just Thank you. Here. Romans eleven twenty-eight.
1: As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for
0: your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. God's gifts are irrevocable. He's not taking it back. The salvation that He used to purchase you and I back isn't going anywhere. It's not changing until He comes back. That's your salvation. The second eternal gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. God works with the Holy Spirit to be our counselor, to convict of sin, to warn us, and to administer spiritual gifts for the local body. Can I get a volunteer for Luke 24, 48? All right. And then can I get a volunteer for Hebrews 2, 2 4? 24 24.48 through 49. Hebrews Luke 22. 24. 24. 48. Thanks. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Thank you. And now Hebrews 2 through 4, or 2-4, sorry.
1: Then God added his witnesses to theirs. He validated their ministries with signs, astonishing wonders, and all kinds of powerful miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which he distributed as he desired.
0: Before Jesus ascended, he promised us the Holy Spirit. After he ascended, the Holy Spirit came down with power. And the disciples and believers were empowered with gifts to preach and teach and spread the gospel. Our third gift, are our, 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 our spiritual gifts... The gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 were not given to be hoarded. They were meant to share with each other in order to strengthen the church. These gifts of God would indirectly benefit the lost. And I'll read these, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual Gifts, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant. 1 Corinthians twelve four through 6. Now there are a diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are diversities of administration and the same Lord. And there are diversity of workings, but the same God who worketh all things in all. The Apostle Paul continues on to identify the gifts of the Spirit in verses 7 through 10 the gift of wisdom, message of knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing of spiritual gifts, different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues for the common good. Fourth gift. And sometimes, this is the one we have the most difficult with. is the tangible and materialistic gifts that God has given us as individuals, as families. God not only provides for man's spiritual needs, but also the gifts of which God has blessed him with. Time, money, homes, resources... The biggest one of all, our lives. Acts 10.1. Now there was a certain man in Caesarea, Cornelius by name, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, who gave so much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision openly As it were about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in unto him and saying to him, Cornelius. And he, fastening his eyes upon him and being affrighted, said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thy alms are gone up for a memorial before God. When gifts are given to individuals, the gift is a direct extension of the giver's love and affection to its recipient. It is at the giver's pleasure that they may or may not give another person or persons a similar or different gifts. The giver knows the individual that they would benefit and use the gift for its intended purposes. All the letters of Paul can be recognized as gifts to the New Testament churches because of their correction, their wisdom, and the love that they contained. Five years after Paul left Ephesus, he writes the letter of Ephesians that would be circulated throughout the churches in Asia Minor. Paul was compelled to write because of the faith in Christ and love for one another, Ephesians 1.15. He sent Timothy to Ephesus to help oversee the young and vulnerable church. So Paul is receiving information back from Timothy and others. Remember Priscilla and Aquila founded the church. He's hearing all this good news and he can't contain himself because he spent three years with them. Paul's gifts were converting people to Christ. Establishing doctrine by Christian conduct. These three gifts help churches to have a closer relationship to Jesus and each other while establishing church structure. One of Jesus' best gifts to the world outside of his salvation is his church. He gave the gift of offices to lead, guide, and strengthen the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.11. He gave them apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so let's talk about what God has given as gifts to the local body first gift he gave apostles these would be the OGs. The 12 disciples that were called and walked with Jesus. They sat and listened to the Lord explain scripture, rebuke the religious and extend healing and forgiveness to the lost. Their hearts would break as one of their very own would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. They would watch Jesus from afar as he was whipped with whipped 39 times with cat and nine tails, crown of thorns that dug into his head and forehead. During Christ's crucifixion, the disciples couldn't be found. Scripture tells us in Zechariah: if you strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter. John might have been the only one because. The Lord gave him the responsibility of taking care of Mary. He would spend 40 days with them, instructed by Jesus to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28:18. What was meant as a warning from the Roman government to its citizens and religious elite would instead be God giving the gift of redemption and reconciliation to all mankind through the blood of Christ. Second gift and office the office of prophet was recognized as an individual within the first century church that spoke with authority for God. This office was necessary because the scripture as we know it, the New Testament, had not been written and canonized yet. The prophet would help to give insight, encouragement, and direction to the church. His third gift in office that he gives the church. These were individuals that were gifted in communicating the gospel outside of the church. The modern day equivalent to this would be the missionaries, those that we heard from this morning. Going to places that have not been reached or presented the gospel. And some of these places are the most dangerous places in the world. You have the luxury of keeping up with what other Christians, missionaries are doing because of internet, the news. The office of evangelist should not be confused with the modern day interpretation of what an evangelist is. A charismatic personality that preaches salvation within a body of believers that makes absolutely no sense if you want to set up a tent and go outside and preach to the lost okay call yourself an evangelist but don't sit here and preach to me because i already believe in jesus i'm already filled with the spirit The fourth gift, and they're all important, but I have a special place for pastors and teachers. We learned last week that the office of a shepherd is to guide, feed, water, and protect the flock. The pastor or teacher within the church has the responsibility, excuse me, let me rephrase that because we're going to know, we're going to... Later. The pastor teacher within the church has the responsibility of equipping the saints for acts of service. That equipping is korart ismas in Greek. It means to make adequate or sufficient for something. The equipping of saints by pastor-teachers for acts of service denote a singularity of thought for accomplishing something inside and outside the church. Pastor-teacher often appear to be in the same office. However, there is a distinction that exists. All pastors should be able to teach. But not all teachers are pastors. Pastors are charged with the spiritual growth and governing of a church. The office of pastor is multifaceted. They are responsible for proclaiming the gospel, teaching the scriptures, navigating the church through church doctrine, conflict, and conduct. Teachers can be seen as individuals gifted with the ability to divide and interpret Scripture. They have the ability to break down Scripture into understandable ways for laymen, for the flock. Teachers can influence, they can assist pastors with their gifts. These could be everyone from Sunday school level to Bible teachers within church programming, to professors and theologians. When we are given gifts, those gifts are connected not only with the giver, but they're connected with a responsibility. Gifts are given at the pleasure of the giver with the intent you use it. I believe the apostles achieved their calling and achieved the responsibilities of the gifts given to them. But have gone, we've gone in depth in the gifts that Jesus gave us through his grace. But, it's a big but, and I cannot lie, <laughs> that's old school. Receiving a gift comes with the weight of responsibility to use correctly to achieve the most benefit. If used incorrectly, there are consequences. Confusion, division, injury, and even death. The four offices of overseer have the great and heavy burden of preparing the body of Christ they must first have themselves prepared in order to lead the body of Christ. I will be honest with you. Last week on the way to church, we're driving down the glen, and Ann looks over at me and says, why are you breathing so hard? And why are you... Because I was a nervous wreck, not because partly because of being in front of everybody, but the weight of sharing the gospel with others. And to do it correctly comes with a heavy weight of responsibility. And you, and I'll let you know why. Scripture tells us that Pastors and teachers are going to have to stand before God to give an account of what they have said, how they have guided the flock. So when you get up here, this isn't just about sharing your gift. This is about a responsibility. And we have to answer to God. Although we're talking about unity today and eternity, you're going to stand by God on your own to give an account for your life. Matt's not going to be there. Brent's not going to be there. Your spouse isn't going to be there. It's you. So start thinking about what you're saying and doing. It carries weight for you, for the people you're sharing it with, and most importantly, to God. 1 Timothy 3.1 says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The great modern-day philosopher Mike Tyson said, Everyone has a plan... Until they get punched in the mouth. You can sit in your seat and be critical of Matt or anybody else that stands in this pulpit and think on your way home, well, I-, I could do that. Really? Really. You want to stand up after your message and field questions that challenge you, challenge your doctrine, challenge your theology while keeping the unity and peace with you. 1 Timothy 3 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must, listen to this, he must manage his own household well Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. What is his reputation in his community? So that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. If your life does not reflect and adhere to the requirements of the desired office, you service, your service within the body will be of more benefit than it will over it. Yeah. Maturity is the process by which we attain the whole measure of Christ. The opposite of maturity is childness. It's like St. Tarshish. <laughs> if you were here for uh, Matt's Jonah series, you'll get that. 1 Corinthians 13.11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. The issue with people who are childish or immature is that they do not have the capacity to make good, sound decisions. Their inability to judge a situation or people may have negative lifelong implications not only for the immature individual, but those near them. Let's give an example. Just because a child can ride a tricycle well? Would you throw your car keys at them to go get ice cream down the street at the ice cream truck? I'd hope not. They wouldn't even get out of the garage or driveway. They aren't big enough to reach the gas or brake pedals. If they were able to get the car going, the probability of getting to their destination safe is improbable. The aftermath would be devastating. Extreme damage to your car, to other cars, pedestrians, and themselves. Who in this situation is responsible for that carnage? Who would be held liable? Well, if you're the one that gave the keys, you were giving them the gift of driving before they were even ready for it, you're responsible. You wanted to be their friend. You wanted to be their buddy. But at times, you've got to set boundaries. What is the responsibility of the body of Christ? What do we take away from this passage? That it's just pastor's jobs? No. As a member of the body of Christ, each one of us receives gifts for the purpose of service to the rest of the body with the goal of attaining maturity. The word attain was a word travelers used when arriving at their destination. Our goal is to become Christ like, that comes from our unity with each other and Christ. Disclaimer. <laughs> I am not feeling no questions. I don't have an email address. I don't have Facebook. (laughs) I'll give you a P.O. box. How about that? We have to be real. One of the things that attracted me to this church is our ability to be real but I don't think we're real 100% of the time. It's just a reality. There seems to be a crisis in our pulpits and churches across America. Everyone preaches unity. The body parrots the goal of unity. So let's address the elephant in the room. The modern church has been in decline for decades. 3,000 churches open in America every month, while 4,500 close in that same month. Churches can't find enough qualified people to lead their churches, let alone fill a pulpit. Church boards and congregations are left to their own gifts and talents that they didn't use to lead a church. Matt is going to be speaking at a local church this summer because they don't have a pastor. So much for church unity in America. There is a disconnect that exists between those in the pulpit and those in the congregation. The gorge of separation exists because no one wanted to take responsibility for themselves or each other. We just nod and say, we're fine. Actually, we're not fine. I'm speaking as the universal church. The pastors and believers across the body of Christ are lonely and dying on the inside, individually and corporately, yet we won't acknowledge it or we don't know why it's happening. I want us to be transparent this morning with ourselves and each other. Our goal is not to blame one another but evaluate where and how our personal responsibility is has impacted the body of Christ. We need to learn from our past experiences with our church life so that we can embrace the attaining of the full measure of Christ at AC squared. I want to review some church statistics with you this morning. The trends in the church are alarming. In 1972... 90% 90% of the American population claimed to be Christian. In 2020, 63% of the American population claimed to be Christian. You can look up all the statistics, and they're going to vary to some degree. Depending on the audience they're surveying, and the issue they're trying to address. So let's talk about believers' engagement. And these studies are going to come from the Pew Research Center from 2021. So we're in the midst of the pandemic, right? Statistics weren't that great before. Believers' attendance of religious church services once a week, 63%. Once or twice a month, 33%. Seldom or never, 30%. And 1% can't even remember. What about... Reading the scriptures, your Bible literacy, at least once a week, 35%, one to two times a month, 10%, several times a year, 8%, seldom or never, 45%, never. Okay? Let's go on to prayer. What's your prayer life like? For the American community and the American church, daily, 55%. Once a week, 16%. Once a month, 6%. Seldom or never, 23%. 1% can't remember the last time they prayed. Well, it's a good thing because they can't remember the last time they read either. Okay, that's on the church. Let's talk about the pastors. Because they're not innocent by any stretch. Pastor burnout. The question was given by the Barna Group. Have you given real consideration of quitting full-time ministry in the last year? In January of 2021, yes, 29% said yes. 71 said no. Just three months later in March, 38% would say yes and 62 would say no. So why are we having these issues within the church? I'll give you my thoughts. First is the lack of engagement by believers. There is minimal to zero involvement with basic foundational disciplines, attending church, scripture literacy, and prayer. The latter may be able to be accomplished individually, however, fellowship cannot. All three, of, all three are necessary for growth and maturity. Second thing that I think has made a serious impact is individualism over community. Modern culture emphasizes the self, not the community. This attitude has crept into the American church and robbed it of its greatest, one of its greatest gifts, each other. A culture of convenience and entertainment has replaced genuine relationships with our brothers and sisters. The current Christian climate turns our ministers into celebrity pastors. We like it because we benefit from the. Personal videos, podcasts, books, and etc. We, as the church as a whole, have reduced the offer, office of pastor to our own personal spiritual life coach. It's a one on one experience. We can receive all the encouragement, all the praise. God loves you. You can do anything through Christ. Those are true, but without enduring hearing the truth about ourselves, we'll never experience it. Third things that I think believers do, in fact, I know they do because I've sat in a multitude of churches and served. They put unrealistic expectations on Leaders. Doesn't matter if it's the pastor. Doesn't matter if it's an elder, a deacon, somebody that holds a ministry, whether they're paid or unpaid within the church. They are overwhelmed and burned out. This message would go really long if I shared... A lot of the pastoral statistics, the pressure and responsibility of ministering in any capacity will erode the serving indiv- will erode the serving individual from the inside out. They can become resentful of the church, cause division, negatively impact relationships at home and outside the church. They can struggle with isolation, loneliness, and rejection in their calling. This can lead to extramarital affairs, addictions, mental health issues, and suicide. Judging by the statistics, the American church does not want to be prepared. It wants to be pampered. Here is our issues, some issues with leaders. Pastors and staff and volunteers of an average to smaller sized churches in the 20th and 21st century had and has the expectation to carry the burden of keeping the church going besides the responsibility of proclaiming and teaching the gospel while making disciples the pastor and his family get saddled with teaching classes doing the child care, doing the youth, doing custodial and maintenance responsibilities in the church. And I praise God that I'm in a church where my pastor's wife doesn't feel like she's the one that needs to lead worship. We'll hook you up with Siobhan and uh, the rest of the team. Pastor's I hope your mom's not going to get mad at this, Matt, because I don't want to offend Mama Oberlander. But pastors suck at setting boundaries for themselves and delegating to all their other leaders that are skilled. This protects the ability to establish boundaries and delegate responsibility protects himself of being overworked, exhausted and allows the congregation to get the full benefit of their pastor. His preaching, his teaching, his guiding, his leading. You know why? Because he doesn't have to mow the lawn. He doesn't have to clean the toilets. Yep, hold that, James. Hold that because you're, you're reading my mail today. For those of you that are sitting in the congregation or that may be watching via YouTube, if you're considering any type of calling within the office, I want you to hear this. If you feel God is calling you, listen and heed the advice of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, and what he learned from the disciples in Acts. It will keep you from wearing yourself out, losing your sanity, and even your life. James, how do you feel about reading that passage for me? Exodus 18, 13 through 18. Exodus 18, verses 13 through 18. Exodus 18, verses 13 through 18. If you want to get a really good look at James... There is a video on AC Squared's uh, YouTube channel. Uh, I'll just leave it at that, but go check it out.
1: (laughs) All right. So part of the subtitles is called Jethro's Wise Advice. All right. Mm -hmm. Is this good? Yeah. Awesome. Take that out of there. (laughs) <laughs> so with Jethro's with advice, it says this. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that, that all Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you not trying to do all these things alone? Why are you trying to do all these things alone while everyone stands around you from morning to evening? Pretty much they were doing nothing and just leaving Moses to do the work. He replied, because people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come, they come to me, and I am the one who sells the case between, between the quarreling parties. I inform them the people of God's decree and give them his instru- instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy, the burden for yourself to handle all by yourself. And, it goes on to say, and he pretty much goes on to say to... Delegate, delegate his authority into where the small in so essentially what happens is after he's after his father in law is saying that hey delgate authority, he then goes on to say that that for the small small disputes, appoint an elder or a representative to handle small quarrels. And those and if they cannot be handled, then go to Moses. And and so can, it, mo- can Moses do it alone? Could he do it alone? Honestly, no. And, and what the point I want to make as well is that this is honestly a very early example on how we as a body believers should handle our cases. If it's too small, handle it ourselves. And if it needs, if it needs more serious attention, use the chain of command. Good job. Thank you. James you know I was going to say that in that particular instance if people are jumping gun they know one they need to pray about being more yielded and two, just be at peace yeah thank you James simple as that so we wonder
0: why Moses had such an anger issue But, I'm sure, I'm almost positive the disciples learned how to delegate from reading this in the Old Testament. You don't believe me? I don't expect you to. Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint By the congregation, the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because of their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Are they too good to serve tables? No. God gift God Jesus' grace gifted them with the ability to lead, preach, and teach. If they are serving tables, the rest of the body's gonna suffer because they're not working in their gifts. We're almost done. These church trends will continue to spiral downward if confessing Christians refuse to engage with their own identified belief systems and follow believers. Our lackadaisical, apathetic, and even outright refusal to engage in Scripture, prayer, and each other will kill our leaders and our churches so how does AC Square buck the trends? If God is going to use our pastors and leaders to equip us for the acts of service, then we have to begin to know each other to reach our destination. Yeah. This is hard to do if we don't know each other's name. Yeah. We don't engage each other outside of church services. Alaska is known for its rugged individualism, the survivalist attitude, because we live in a harsh and dangerous climate. As Christians, we are supposed to be known by our love for each other. People from, without, from outside the church ought to be able to identify us. Because of the relationship that we have with each other. Thank you. So, do we have an example from within the church? And I'll say yes, because I'm that example. I truly thought when I did my mixtape, that was it. It was a one and done. I just wanted to tell... You, how much I loved you. It's one thing to love something. It's a whole nother level to be in relationship with it. Now, I suck socially. I hope nobody's offended. Because although I may come across as an extrovert... What am I working with? (laughs) I thought he was like, man, you got stuff in your beard. I'm like, I haven't had anything to eat up here. (laughs) Although I may come across as an extrovert, in reality, I'd rather be home. I don't like big crowds. If anything, I would rather sit one-on-one and have coffee or dinner. That's my comfort zone. But I had to learn how to embrace the suck. So how did I do that? Well, it's one thing to say, hey, I love you. You're great. You're awesome. But how do I break the ice? Because I'll tell you what, I sat at home miserable, lonely, and being like, why don't I have any friends? Well, guess what? They're not going to come to you. you got to go to them. And you have to have the uncomfortable, well, do I dab? Do I handshake? Do I hug? <laughs> the impact of me Building my relationship not just with Christ, but building my relationship with people in this body. I've been out to coffee with Brent. I've been over to Rob Woolsey's house for dinner, for prayer and, and reading, and just laughing because you know what? We're all knuckleheads. Nathan, we used to work together, or work in the same building. It was great when I was coming into work and he was leaving, we would see each other. And we would stop for a moment and talk. That man, that broke me. I see Theron on a daily basis at work. I see Jason almost weekly. They don't know what I may be going through, but just the sight of them and the personal exchange we have gets me through my day. Okay. Not only has it affected me positively with my church and my church family, the results have extended into my personal life and in my work. My daughter and her boyfriend were in church last week. You don't know how long I've prayed for them. The relationships that I'm able to develop at work and outside of work has allotted me and afforded me the opportunity to start new relationships. I have a lot of stuff I'd want to say, but I haven't cried all message, so we're, we're on a roll. Doesn't matter if you're an introvert or extrovert. You have a responsibility to God, yourself, and each other. How can visitors, how can unbelievers feel comfortable in this body if we don't know each other's names? and we have no relationship outside of the church. I want to close with this. And this is something I had to force myself to do. After service, I want us to get to know each other even better. Find someone in the church this morning. Exchange phone numbers. That's the easy part. And then this week, I want you to text or call. Don't communicate in Christian ease. Be genuine. Be yourself Flaws and all. We do this thing we call small talk. This could be the first step to building a relationship and trust with each other. Thank you.